to Church, our annual Carrollton Baptist Association meeting takes place. This is open to everyone. It is a worship service. There will be wonderful preaching, singing, ministry opportunities, missions, um, updates on different things going on in our association. If you've never been to one, I encourage you to come. Six o'clock tonight at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. The only group that will be meeting at Glenlock today is at 5.30. Our children's choir will be practicing for their upcoming Christmas presentation. On the 28th, we will have a special teaching and discussion time on caring for others in difficult times. On the 28th, deacons meeting at 7. On the 31st is our Harvest Festival. It starts at 6 o'clock. We still are in need of candy for that Wednesday night. And on November the 16th, Bryson is out of town at a wedding this weekend. But I do know that he is encouraging all who would like to go. And I encourage those. It's going to be a wonderful night. Grade 6 through 12 for our students. Um, reverb. All-night event uh, centered around the gospel and fun beyond that. If you have any questions, please see me or Bryson. Now, Hurricane Michael relief efforts are ongoing. We have a group leaving next Saturday morning from Glenlock at 5 in the morning. Traveling to Albany, or Albany, as they say there, uh, to do relief work. It's open to men and women. You'll return about, we'll leave from Albany about 4 to come back. Ages 14 and 15 must have a parent with them. Older teens, 16 and 17, need a signed release. Uh, so please see Terry Harper or Miss Olivia Hanley, if y'all will raise your hand. If you're interested at all in going on this trip, have questions or want to let them know that you're going, please see them. And then also, we've already uh, accumulated a lot of this, but uh, the truck's not leaving until later this week. So in our fellowship hall, you can leave the following items or let me know where they are and we'll come get them. Uh, water non-perishable food items, baby necessities. There's a little car that has all the things that we're collecting for relief back there in the welcome area. There's a lot of other things that, that are in need that I'm not going to read through, but um, it'd be great if we could minister the grace and love of Christ by going or by donating these goods to, um, to the RTI truck that, that's going to go later on in the week. That's all I have for now. Let's stand. Oh, be in prayer next Saturday morning is the Glenlock Soccer end of season celebration. It's always a big event. Uh, we share the gospel at that. We minister to those families. If any of you want to come and help, it starts at 10 to serve food that day. So you can go to Albany or you can stay here at Glenlock, wherever you are, uh, minister the grace and love of Christ. Miss Abby is going to come now and read Psalm 27, which will serve as our call to worship. Thank you, Abby. And my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why, so why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek the most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me when trouble comes. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out 
of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing music and praising the Lord, singing and praising the Lord with music. Hear me as I pray, O Lord, be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. My heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You've always been my helper. Do not leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God, my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not, do not let me fall into their hands, for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath, they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Good morning. We're going to begin singing this morning with surely goodness and mercy.
one more song together this morning. You know, that song, there's a certain line in that song that really sticks out to me. And, you know, the song is called The Cross of Christ. But did you catch the words it said after that? An instrument of agony. You know, we don't think about that. And a lot of times, you know, we even wear a cross around our neck or we wear a cross bracelet. But do we ever really truly realize that that cross, you know, it's a representation of our faith, but it was used as an instrument of agony, of agony to cover our sins and our shame. Um, this next song, My Savior, My God, it starts with saying, I'm not skilled to understand what God has willed or what God has planned. I only know at His right hand stands one who is my Savior, that Savior who went to that instrument of agony for you and for me. Um, I just think that's powerful for us to think about because sometimes we forget, you know, all that that cross means at times. Or sometimes we just take it back and we go, oh, yeah, that cross, that's, that represents that I'm a Christian. But it's so much more than that. Um, will you sing with us, my Savior, my God? Oh 
my Savior loves just one more time. My Savior loves Father, Lord, thank you for this beautiful reminder we've been given this morning, God, of, of what all the cross meant, God, and how it's so much more than just a symbol to us, Lord. That we have a Savior that loves us but also lives within us, God, because of that um, instrument of agony, God, of that death that took place on the cross, but more importantly, God, for that resurrection that happened three days later, Lord. God, I just pray this morning if there's anybody here who's not ever understood that story or ever accepted it or ever truly believed it, God, that today will be their day of salvation, Lord. And I just pray that this week you'll um, just place little things in our path to remind us of how much you love us, God, and place opportunities in our path that allow us to show how you live in us, Lord. God, we just love you and praise you so much, and we pray that you open our hearts and clear our conscience for this time of study, Lord, and just speak through Pastor Neil this morning. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so children, are here. I see y'all back there, Manny. You have a healthy baby girl, Dawson June, who's here for the first time. Catherine, will you take her a baby Bible and let's thank God for... Another healthy baby for the first time in worship. The rest of us turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're in a series through the book of 2 Corinthians, and today we'll start in chapter 4. I'm actually going to read a portion of chapter 3 just for the sake of context, and then we'll read all of chapter 4, but we're just going to draw from mainly verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4. Grateful that Chuck Harper, my friend, reminded me that Neil and I ran into Chuck at the local Greasy Spoon <laughs> in Carrollton, and we were enjoying breakfast. And Chuck says, "Coming up Sunday is one of your favorite portions of Scripture." I said, "You know what? It is." And I have told you before on occasion when we've covered this that this truly is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. So this is what I do with it, and I hope and pray this is what you will do uh, with Scripture that, that really moves you, that you would not only hear it preached, but that you would return to it again and again and again to feed your mind and your heart and soul to prevent us from uh, discouragement. That's, that's particularly what this section uh, deals with in Paul's ministry and his life as he communicates to the Corinthians. So, you know, all of us have, I hope and pray, certain passages that we go to that, you know, every time we read it, every time we take it in, it moves us and touches us, and we are in the stretch, so to speak, of a, of a portion of the scriptures that truly is, is so gospel-centered, is so Christ-centered that just reading it, 
just reading it and just working through it and, and wrestling with the truths that are there is so encouraging. And, and Paul actually says not only is it, is it encouraging, but it's life-changing. It's, it's transforming. When the child of God goes to the Word of God, he's changed by the Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God. So when we read and we, when we study and we hear the Word of God, I truly believe it is a supernatural event. So this past week, we said to our congregation and community, mark your calendars for one night in Bethlehem. <laughs> what a special event. It's an annual event that we do need to prepare for and mark our calendars for. But just as significant is the regular reading and preaching and teaching of the Word of God, that this is how God this is how God saves us and transforms us to be like Christ. So I'll quit talking and read the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 3:12. Having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And we're not as Moses. This is where we were last week, comparing Christ and Moses and why Jesus is greater than Moses. We are not as Moses, and Moses used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel might not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. The veil is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a man turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, not just Moses, but we all with unveiled face... Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. That's last week's text. That's last week's sermon. It's out there in internet land somewhere if you want to go hear it. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, building on everything that went before, since we have this ministry... As we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ. Christ Jesus is Lord. And ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, 
that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what it is, what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We believe, therefore also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Father, help us and aid us today in seeing what is eternal. What is seen through the eyes of faith. And we know that scripture teaches that unless you impart to us the gift of faith and of sight and of hearing... We cannot believe, we cannot see, we cannot hear. So, Father, our prayer is that you would grant us today greater faith and greater understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done, what he is going to do, so that our hearts may be encouraged, so that we will refuse to lose heart, but rather draw strength from Jesus, from his resurrection, from his sacrificial death on our behalf and from the the power of the spirit within us father all all those resources god you've provided to me and all who believe so that we might not lose heart but rather be bold in our proclamation and our speech and bold in our faith and our living and bold in all that you call us to do in christ's name we pray amen my main idea today is this, that in a discouraging world, the gospel of Jesus is our great and only source of divine encouragement. In a discouraging world, the gospel of Jesus, the good news about him, is great. And in fact, it's the only source of encouragement that we have that's truly from God and so it goes beyond any discouraging thing in the world. Now, we live in a discouraging world because it's fallen. Kyle and I were talking on the way in here. Kyle says, man, Alabama just keeps beating everybody. It is so frustrating and discouraging. <laughs> I agree. Sorry, Bill. Look all around you. There, there's reasons to be discouraged. Look within you. You'll also find reasons at times to be discouraged. It's a broken, corrupt, sin-cursed world. There's physical discouragement, financial discouragement, moral discouragement, at times spiritual discouragement, political discouragement, emotional discouragement. 
My golf game is discouraging. <laughs> golf course designer Pete Dye was asked one time why he made his golf courses so difficult. He said this. He said, life isn't fair, so why should I make a golf course that is fair? We get that. Life is unfair. People are unreliable. The future is unpredictable. And death is inevitable. They give me more bad news, right? A lot of us can relate to the Buffalo Bills player that earlier this season, uh, a defensive back named Vontae Davis, professional football player. He'd been playing in the NFL for 10 years. At halftime of the Bills game, he said, I'm not going back out there. I quit. <laughs> I'm retiring. He retired at halftime of an NFL professional football game. He said what a lot of us have said, I'm sick and tired of going through the motions, and I can't do this anymore. Now, you know you've said that as well. His teammates are pretty hard on him, but, but if we examine our hearts honestly, we can relate. People are lonely, people are empty, people are fearful, people are insecure, people are guilty because of sin. And that's why Thoreau said this. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And then someone else added, and they take that song with them to their grave. Your bumper stickers tell you life stinks and then you die. Charlie Brown thinks every time that Lucy's going to hold the football down so that he can kick it. And you and I know that Schultz has proven that she's going to pull it out from under him every time. And in one particular comic strip, Charlie Brown, he thinks he's got it. You've heard me tell this before. I'm telling it again. He's just so sure, certain that this is going to be the time that he's going to kick the ball. And she jerks it out from, uh, from where his, his foot is, is swinging. And he lands flat on his back. And he's looking up. And he, he says to God, oh, Lord, how long? And Lucy looks down at him with taunt. And she says, your whole life, Charlie Brown. <laughs> well, that's enough of preparing us for what we already know. And that is that life can be very discouraging. But Paul is very bold in proclaiming something that's larger than the discouragements of this life. And that's why we need somebody to stand up and say, yeah, there's bad news. But I refuse to lose heart because the good news is so good and is so powerful and is so transcendent over all the bad news that we're going to hang on to that and we're going to believe that and we're going to embrace that every day. In chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul twice said, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. We refuse to lose heart. And not only that, but we're going to renounce the hidden things because that's one of, the, one of our tactics is to really hide who we are and veil who we are and cover who we are. For God forbid that people discover what we are really like. And so we veil ourselves. Paul says we refuse to lose heart and we renounce the hidden things that are shameful. 
So there's a lot here, but what I really need to do is proclaim boldly what Paul proclaims boldly, and that's the good news that, that we hold on to that prevents us from losing heart. And, and the three words I'm going to give you, and I've got longer points, but, but basically it revolves around this. God has given us a great responsibility, therefore we can't lose heart. God has also created us with a dependency on his mercy, therefore he's not going to let us lose heart. And then God miraculously has given us intimacy with him that encourages our heart, therefore we do not lose heart. So you can focus on the negative and the bad news, but hey, something greater has happened that you need to hold on to and believe and apply to your mind and heart every day. I kind of likened it to this. How many of you saw Heard County beat Callaway the other night? A wonderful comeback. What a powerful win. Unexpected. Came from behind. Let's suppose you went and you sat through that whole game Yet after watching the game, you said nothing or talked none about the drama that took place on the field. Now the big deal was the drama that took place on the field and how that drama unfolded and how that drama ended. But let's suppose you went and you witnessed all that and you watched all that, but you went home to your wife and she said, how did the game go? And you said, well, my hamburger was burned. Or the guys beside me sure were obnoxious. I mean, it's the equivalent of what has happened in Paul's life and in the life of every believer and in Christian history. What, listen, what God has done for us is so dramatic. It's so powerful. It's so good that it really does transform our hearts and our minds and our lives and, and, and sometimes I think we just don't get it. We just don't get the drama of redemption and the impact that that is to have on how you think and how you behave and how you live. I've got to get to this. I can save some of this intro stuff till next week. And you're thinking, good grief, Charlie Brown. <laughs> what is our responsibility? Look, we can't lose heart because of verse 1. We have a ministry. One of the things we don't think about regularly in our thinking in relationship to God in life is what our responsibility is to God. Do you ever think about the God-given responsibility you have to minister and to serve? You can't lose heart. <laughs> because we are His body, we are His messengers, we are salt and light, we're like the people that are going into South Georgia, the, the, the linemen who are going down there to fix the power line. They have to go because they're the only ones who know how to do it. They're the only ones trained to do it. I was talking with a guy last night who has a son who's down there. And he got the call and he had to go. He doesn't say, oh, I don't feel like going. No, he has to go. Why? Because everyone is dependent. He has this... He has this special purpose, this special call. Now, you and I, God has given us a responsibility, and it's His ministry, it's His work, and you and I cannot lose heart. We do not lose heart because we become aware again and again of the weight 
of responsibility that grace and mercy has given us. He uses the word diakonia for ministry in verse 1. That means table service. He calls himself later on in this text, we are bondservants for you for the sake of Jesus. So notice how Paul began to see his life and his ministry. And sure, he at times probably said, you know what, I don't, I don't know that well, I want to do this anymore. But then he would think about a few things, and one of those things would be the, the servanthood of Jesus Christ. And how when God became man, he came to earth, and he did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so when his disciples were arguing and fussing about who was the greatest, Jesus said, listen, the greatest among you is the servant. He said the Gentiles fight about that kind of thing. The people who don't know God and confess that they don't need God, those who are blinded in their hearts and their minds, that's the kind of stuff they argue over. But not so among you. I am among you as one who serves. Wow. God has given me a great responsibility. Therefore, I can't lose heart. Because he has entrusted unto us the treasure. And it's like Schultz said, Charles Schultz, I mean, the author of Peanuts. When they asked him years and years ago, the, the CBS executives were like, Nah, I don't know that we need to put the Christmas message and the real story of Christ in what you're doing. And Schultz pushed back. And when people asked him, Why were you so, why were you so adamant that you were going to have Linus come out there? Well, you know, and he drops his blanket and he shares the good news. Why were you so adamant that that was going to be clearly in there, that the gospel of Jesus was going to be clearly there? He says, look, he says, if we don't do it, who will? So I want to challenge myself and this church. If we're not going to be salt and light, who's going to be salt and light in this dying, corrupting world? If you're not going to share the gospel, if you're not going to fulfill the Great Commission, if we're not going to love God and love others, then who in the world is going to do it? There's nobody else that's, that's equipped to do it. So we need to own up and embrace the challenge of the response, the, the great responsibility. It's God's work. Jesus says, as I was sent, so send I you. And we're twiddling our thumbs thinking, I don't know that, I, I just want to be like everybody else. I told y'all this weeks ago that I've had times that I, I just want to blend in. You need to argue with yourself and you may need to mortify and fight that fallen desire to blend in and be like everybody else. Do you know where that lie comes from? That lie comes straight from hell. Because the last thing that Satan wants you to be is salt and light in this dying, corrupt world. What Jesus has done for us and what he's placed on us is too good. It's too powerful. It's too transforming for us just to fumble the ball and let it go. Man, Coach John McKay gave this one running back he had years ago. He gave him the ball 50 times one game. And they said, Coach, he says, you're wearing this guy out. You're giving it to him over and over and over again. He says, 
Listen, the football doesn't weigh but just a few ounces. <laughs> and that was the point. This is much bigger. This is much, this is much more significant. And, and God is going to keep placing in our care the good news of the gospel of Christ. So, so listen, let me, let me back up and, and, and say a few things about this point. Accepting our responsibility, accepting your ministry, your particular call, recognizing that you're a servant, not a spectator, not a celebrity, not a spectacle. Hey, we do not preach ourselves. Well, that's good, isn't it? We do not preach ourselves. The task of the preacher is not to bring before his hearers himself or his own spiritual attainment, but the authoritative word of God, the greater reality of God. I'm, I'm not up here preaching me. Because I'll be honest with you, I have no self-inherent glory whatsoever. In fact, I'm unglorious left to myself. I'm sinful and I've fallen short of God's glory. Moses had no self-glory. He had to turn to God to receive glory. And then he was able to turn and pass that on to others. We're the same way. We do not have any inherent glory. The glory that God gave us is tainted and fallen and fading. So we turn to him. We receive the glory that he gives to us in Christ. Then we turn to others and share the glory that God has given, which is the glory not of ourselves but of Jesus. So seeing ourselves as bondservants of other people for the sake of Christ, God has given us this particular task. It's the same task he gave to his son who took upon himself the form and nature of a servant. And when we serve and we, when we minister in his name, God uses this greatly. If you notice in Jesus' own life and ministry, whether it's the temptation in the wilderness, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus clung to this divine must. I must go to Jerusalem. I must go there and die. He did not neglect his accountability and his responsibility, even though Satan himself poured out all hell, so to speak, upon him. Jesus said, it is written, the Son of Man must, must do these things. And then he's entrusted into us, a service, a ministry. And it's the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. It's the great commandment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. I don't know about you, but it's helpful for me to replay the divine weight of responsibility that God has placed upon us as we represent Him being salt and light. Peter says the same thing, and I want to remind me and you today, but you, you're not like everyone else. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's the mercy not only of knowing him, but the mercy of having a great purpose 
and a great calling that will get you up every day and give you the energy and the motivation to live life and know Him and shine Him before others. We can't lose heart. Look at what He's entrusted unto us, the, the mercy and the grace and the love of God. So every day see myself as a servant, a servant of God, a servant of others, and this is transforming. That what Jesus tells us, that if if you will adopt this ministry and this mentality, your joy will increase. Blessed are you if you do these things. So he's, he's doing this for your joy and your blessing and your benefit and your pleasure. In other words, this is how God has designed life to work. So you can either resist him and fight him and miss his joy, or you can see yourself as a servant and a minister and embrace this and not lose heart and find that joy is always at the far end of service. Case and study Chick-fil-A. <laughs> My goodness, what would we do without Chick-fil-A? They're unique. They're different from their foundational principles. They aim to be Christ-centered, God-centered, salt and light, and, and how refreshing it is to go to a place when they serve you, they do they they are out they are excellent. They are they they shine like stars in a in, in the dark world of fast food America. <laughs> That's a play on a scripture verse. We're to shine like stars in a dark, corrupted world. Well, the other morning we were in a, in a in a rush and I had Jake and Bennett with me, and here we go, back to faithful Chick-fil-A. They never let you down. They got all these people out there, I mean, ready to serve. They're they're looking for a way to serve you in an excellent way with an excellent attitude. And and we pull up, and and, and I place my order, which is for, uh, let's see, what did I get? I got an an egg. I'm giving you too much information, aren't I? (laughs) Uh, An an egg biscuit for, for Jake, an egg biscuit for Bennett. And, and I got the, the thing without cheese. I can't even remember what you call it. It's not important. We place our order. She swipes the card. We pull through the line. She tells me which car to get behind. I always struggle. Wait, which one did she say I need to get behind? I don't get out of order. From the back seat, Bennett says, Dad, I wanted bacon on my biscuit. I say, Bennett, listen. I'm like, it's too late. There's no way that we're going to be able to change this order. I've already paid. They'll be waiting on us at the window on the other side. We're not adding bacon on that biscuit. A couple of minutes go by. The line's kind of long. Dad, I I want bacon on that biscuit. (laughs) I says, Bennett, I says, we've already placed the order. It's done and settled. I'm not going to change it. I'm not, and, and, and then he kept working it, you know. He, you have not because you asked not. He kept working. He kept persisting. And so I thought in my mind, if there's any organization in this world that will do this for us, it's Chick-fil-A. Roll my window down. She comes there. She's got the bag of food. She gives it to me, and she says, here's your order. I says, thank you. I says, but I have one quick request. I says, could you add bacon to one of these biscuits? And she's, I don't know. And so she goes back inside. Oh, before that, I said, look, I've got money, okay? I've got, I've got money. You charge me more if you need to charge me more. I've got money, but can, can you do this? So she goes in there, she comes back, and she says, 
absolutely we can do it. So she put bacon on the biscuit, and then I says, how much do I owe you? She says, you're not, gonna, you're not getting charged for this. I said, really? No, there's no charge. And then she looked at me, with us. I says, thank you so much. She says, my pleasure. And I pulled off, and I thought to myself, what a great organization. Most of us every day, we're looking for a reason to get out of something. We're looking for a way to beat somebody, to keep from giving to others what we have the power to give. And I don't know about you, but it is transforming. And it, my mood for the day got better automatically. That, that changed me for about five seconds, all right? And this is the only point I'm going to give you this morning. I guess we'll get to the others in the weeks to come. Chuck, it's what people get for, hey, when it's your favorite, this may go till Christmas. Listen, don't, don't lose heart. Because the same grace that you possess that is the ministry you're giving, that's what you have already received in Christ. And that's why he says... And this will be the first point next week. We've received mercy. We've received mercy. Chick-fil-A didn't know me a thing. As far as my relationship with Chick-fil-A, I, I, I got what I deserved in that first bag. <laughs> but they showed me mercy, and then they showed me grace. Boy, when you really look at the cross and what God has done for you, man, all we deserved was sin, hell, death, and, 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 be, and to be left, left to ourselves and our own devices, and our own schemes and our own hidden shame. But God outs all that out of his mercy so that we'll finally see that we can only run to him. And God has given himself in Christ on our behalf. He's first been very merciful, and then we have grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And what the Bible says is if you don't see that, if you don't grasp that, then there's no hope. So pray that God would open your heart. And pray that God would open your eyes and pray that God would open your ears and that you would say, yes, I'll serve because there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust, to trust and obey. Let's pray. Let's give thanks to God for the ministry and the mercy that we received. And He's not going to allow us to lose heart because we belong to Him. And he is going to be faithful, and he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. Father, thank you for entrusting unto us this treasure of the good news. The very first thing Paul says is we have a ministry. And I know that my ministry includes preaching. I hope and pray that everyone in this room looks for a way to serve. That they'll know that table service is not given just to one or two people in the kingdom or a specific position or task that, that it's something all of us have been called to do. If we don't do these things, who will? There is no other way. So I pray that we will fight discouragement, that we will fight despondency, that we will 
even, Father, when we feel like we're going through the motions, that we will press on knowing that you reward faithfulness and obedience. And we'll press on and learn from the Apostle Paul that through the difficulties and through all the trials that he was placed under, God, that you were just actually multiplying and enhancing his ministry so that people could not look at Paul, but so that they could look at Christ. Place faith in Christ. Thank you, Father, for others who were faithful in our path, who shared the gospel, who modeled the gospel, who made disciples. And now, Father, give us the strength and courage to continue to see our part in passing that on. God, you are faithful, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. So we sing our hymn of invitation this morning, Beneath the Cross of Jesus.